0: You're listening to a Small Town Theologian special. These specials are exclusive episodes of bonus content. Sometimes you'll hear the customary 10 minute or less episode from a special guest or maybe a special sermon from a small town pastor. Of course, this bonus content is from a reformed perspective and meant to deepen your comfort and join the gospel. Thanks for lending your ear. Today's special is titled, Overcoming Sinful Thoughts and Desires by Grace. It's a sermon I preached at Jerusalem Church in Mannheim, PA on January twenty third, 2022. This sermon gets at the heart of the Ten Commandments and addresses the root problem of sin, the desires of the heart, but also gives a strong dose of the gospel for the comfort of the listeners. The most important preacher in your life is your pastor who loves you. But I hope that God uses this message to encourage, strengthen, and comfort you in addition to the truth, wisdom, and heart you receive from your pastor every Lord's Day. Grace and peace to you. Westminster Theological Seminary designed a virtual training course for pastors and others in Christian ministry. It's titled Behind the Pulpit. It's designed to equip, uh, edify, and encourage pastors and others in their life and ministry. 14 seasoned and trusted pastors share intimate stories and lessons and truths from their ministry. The course has over 16 hours of video content from these men and I have found it quite encouraging. One of the men is Joe Novenson a Presbyterian pastor from Tennessee. From the start, his content gripped me. Not only did Joe study under notable men like Dr. Clowney and Dr. Van Til, but you can just sense God's grace in this man. His spirit is gentle, wise and sincere, his story compelling, his words profound. After finishing seminary and shortly after getting married, Joe and his wife traveled across the country Uh, so that he could start his job as a chaplain's intern at Whitworth College. His work wouldn't start for several months and so he needed money to provide for his wife and so he took a job at a sheet metal factory. They put him on a, a sheet rolling machine. Within 10 minutes, he crushed both of his hands. He had 17 consecutive surgeries. His wife needed to feed, dress, and bathe him. He couldn't use the restroom without his wife for one year. For one year, he had to keep his hands above his heart uh, or swelling and pain and damage would ensue. He didn't have insurance, couldn't pay the bills. God used suffering to humble this man, shape him and love him. An incredible testimony. In the episode titled The Pastor and Brokenness, Joe talks about the things that impacted him the most. The first thing Joe mentions is God's breaking of his servants. God's breaking of his servants. And then he explains. And I want to read for you Joe's profound words. Keep in mind, these words come from a broken and humble man with disfigured hands. With his gentle and sincere voice, his gentle and sincere way, Joe said, Before I pray, I want you to hear these words. I heard them. We're going to have to harm you before we help you. The donor site from which we are going to take the grafts is going to be much more painful than the site to which we add the grafts. We will have to harm you in order to help you. Those were the words of the doctor who spoke to me just after I crushed both my hands. He then took portions of the bones from my hip tendons from my wrists, an eight-inch square from my hip and a half-inch deep. He even attached my hand to my chest for six weeks. And all of this cost me between a quarter and a half million dollars, and I had no insurance. I have no regrets. I think about the wounds in my hands almost every day. Every time I pick up a penny I dropped, or try to button one of the buttons on my sleeves, they did have to harm me to help me. And Joe goes on to say to his listeners, I want you to consider the fact that God sometimes, I will even say often, harms us to help us because he loves us. That's coming from a man with disfigured hands who has received the salve and healing of God's grace. Do you believe what Joe says? God often harms us to help us because he loves us. Brothers and sisters, this is the second to last sermon in this series, and I know it has been a tough series in some respects. It's been painful at some points. Maybe because we've been forced to face the depth and seriousness of our sin. We've needed to look at God's marvelous moral law and be reminded that we fall short. We fall short of who and what God wants us to be. We fall short of who and what we want ourselves to be, and that's painful. Satan wants us to believe that the painful correction of the law is bad, undesirable, even unnecessary, What Satan doesn't want any of us to believe is that God often harms us to help us because he loves us. We've had loved ones die of cancer. And as hard as it may be, it is loving and good for oncologists to diagnose cancer, to locate it, and to show the deadly disease to their patients. That's loving. But the knife of the oncologist is also loving. They hurt to help. They cut to care, they cut to cure. They cut because of how dangerous the cancer is. If they don't cut, people die. If God does not diagnose, reveal and cut with his law, people die in their sins without first being real, without realizing the the deadliness of this sin in them. they would never heal without first being diagnosed and cut by the law. Healing comes after the cut. But when God cuts his people with his law, it is never to maliciously harm them, it is always to lovingly heal them God cuts with his law and then gently applies the curative salve of the gospel in order to comfort, heal, and restore. God does often harm us to help us because he loves us. I wonder if that's how you experience God's law. I wonder if you feel the cut of the law and then trust that God is lovingly moving you toward healing. Maybe you're feeling the painful cut of the Ten Commandments. You need to feel it. It's part of God's loving process to heal you. I want to do three things in the remainder of the sermon. First, tell you about the gracious and healing salve of Jesus. Second, explain for you what the Tenth Commandment tells us to avoid. Or in other words, what God is needing to cut out of us to heal us. Third, tell you about the healing power of Jesus. In other words, how to overcome sinful thoughts and desires by God's grace and spirit. First, let me tell you about the gracious and healing salve of Jesus. Though the law cuts, the gospel soothes and heals. It is God's love to diagnose cancer. It is God's love to make an incision where the cancer is. It is God's love to remove the cancer. It is God's love to clean the incision, abate the pain, and bring healing and comfort. Now Peter knew what it was like to betray his Savior and Lord by his sin. He he bore false witness against Christ. And he wept bitterly from the guilt of it, and yet Jesus was the salve on Peter's painful soul wounds. The gentleness and power of Christ's forgiveness and love healed Peter. A humbled, very humbled Peter described the gospel in these words, 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. Now what does Peter mean? The son of God took upon himself your sins. They were not his sins, they were your sins. Our sins were imputed or ascribed to Christ. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All our sinful thoughts, feelings, desires, motivations, choices, and behaviors, all of our transgressions against the holy law of God, Christ bore in his body. He took them from us into himself. Because he did, God counted him a horrendous sinner. This is is what we call substitutionary atonement. Christ in your place to bear your sins in his body to suffer the punishment of your sins. He did this on the tree, the cross made of wood from a tree. The cross was a shameful and horrific death and he suffered it for your sins and for my sins. He suffered willingly because he loves you. Jesus said that he laid down his life. No one took it from him. He laid it down for you. Why would he do such a thing? Peter said that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. The little Greek word hina or that indicates purpose. Peter's telling us why Jesus bore our sin in his body on the cross. He did it in order that you would die to sin. That you would no longer live in sin. That, That sin would cease inside of you. He did it so that the terminal cancer of sin would be cut out of you in order for you to be healed. Jesus also bore your sins in his body on the cross in order to give you life. His intent was that you would then live to righteousness. Romans 6.11 encourages us to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Alive, not dead. Dead to sin, alive to Christ, alive to God in Christ, and the law marvelously tells you and I how to live in righteousness. 1 Peter 2.24 nicely expresses a big point that I've been trying to make throughout this series, that the law lovingly and helpfully tells us what needs to die in us and what needs to come to life in us. There, there are two equally Helpful sides to every commandment. Peter's words nicely parallel this this series. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree in order that we might die to sin, and the law explains for us what needs to die in us, and live to righteousness, and the law explains what must come to life in us. So this is a. I see Peter just bringing out what is, what is in this series. 1 Peter 2.24 states both sides of every commandment. Die to sin, live to righteousness. Die to sin, live to righteousness. The law help, helps us clarify both of those sides. And then Peter said in 1 Peter 2.24, by his wounds you have been healed. How can the wounds of one be the healing of another? Interesting. Well, Peter is borrowing from Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Wounds are marks from getting a nasty beating. Welts. All over. And, and wounds are marks from the lash of a whip. And wounds are the marks from nails. We're talking about trauma. Christ suffered trauma of body and soul. Christ bore your sins. And the just wrath of God on the cross so that the cancer of sin would be removed from you and you would be healed. The suffering of Christ is the balm for lacerated, beaten, and wounded souls. The law may cut you. The law may hurt you, but it's cutting and it's hurting in order to help you. God often harms you to help you because he loves you. Do not resist God's cutting, for to do so would be to resist his love. The Ten Commandments are not easy to hear because what do they do? They cut us open. They lay us bare and they show us and they show others the the sin that is inside of us, the cancer that needs to be removed. But this is in order to heal us with the surgery and the salve of the gospel of Christ. The law simply shows you where God needs to cut and where God needs to heal. But that's uncomfortable. (laughs) But it's necessary if you actually wanna heal and live. I wanna help you understand covetousness. The 10th commandment is unique because it threads through all of the nine other commandments. It's linked to all of them. The 10th explicitly states what is implicitly stated in all of the other nine commandments. So the 10th is really important to understand, kind of like the exclamation point at the end. Second, let me explain for you what the 10th commandment tells us to avoid. We will sense that God's cutting is loving when we understand what he needs to remove from us. What does God desire to remove from you because it's hurting you? If you fail to understand this, you might think God, that that the cut of God's law is torture instead of surgery. You won't understand. Before I define covetousness, I should make this point. Isn't it amazing and wonderful that God made you and me emotional creatures? To feel, to desire, it's marvelous. We have feelings, emotions and desires, that's good. We get excited about time with friends or good food or vacations. We feel deep love for our family and friends. We wanna do a good job and we wanna please others. We feel the satisfaction of a hard day's work and the progress and, and skill that, that, that comes. These, these are good feelings and desires. So it's important to realize that we should feel. We should desires. Christians are, are not anti-emotions or anti-desires. Quite the opposite, Kevin DeYoung said, Quote, the Bible says our problem is not that we desire things, but that we desire the wrong things or desire good things in the wrong way. End quote. So the problem is not our desires, the problem is that our desires are corrupted by sin. See, original sin corrupts our feelings, emotions, desires, motivations. We feel what we shouldn't feel. We fail to feel what we ought to feel. We desire what we shouldn't desire, and then we fail to desire what we ought to desire. Sin is not simply outward actions. Sin is also an inner disposition of the heart, which is always behind our sinful actions. What is covetousness? It's inner desire. It's inner delight. It's wanting or craving something in your heart. But covetousness is an unlawful desire, an unlawful delight, an unlawful wanting or craving. It can be desiring something bad or excessively desiring something good. It's craving something to a fault. It's ungoverned selfish desire. To covet is to lust after, to burn with desire, and it's not just sexual, though it can be. J.G. Voss wrote this, quote, This commandment especially emphasizes the truth that it is not only outward actions that are sinful, but also even thoughts, desires, motives, and mental attitudes." End quote. Now the Hebrew word for covet is used positively and negatively. Isaiah 26 verse nine uses it positively of a desire for God. My soul yearns for you in the night. That's good. Psalm 19 says, the rules of the Lord are more to be desired than gold. That's good. Same word. But then Proverbs 21:10 uses the word like this: the soul of the wicked desires evil. That's not good. Solomon warns his son in Proverbs 6, telling him not to desire the beauty of the adulterous um, uh, in his heart. That's the negative sense of the word. So covetousness is a misplaced desire, an excessive desire, an unlawful desire desire. It's a desire for something bad or an excessive desire for something good. It's really any desire that is contrary to God's will. Here's the 10th again. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now God's not saying don't desire a house at all. Don't desire to have a beautiful wife at all. Don't, don't desire a car and good employees and success and a hot tub. All right, that's a personal one. He, he's not saying, have no desires or wants. Notice what God does say. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Wife, male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Covetousness is desiring what God has given to others and not to you. The root of covetousness is discontent with God's gracious provision for you. It's being dissatisfied with your life, dissatisfied with what God has given you. And this dissatisfaction compels you to look at other people's lives and what God has given them and to wish it for yourself. It's a sense of displeasure at God giving those blessings to those people and not to you. That's covetousness. Covetousness is envy. Covetousness is feeling sorrow over someone else's being blessed by God. Covetousness is feeling like You will be happy only when you have what others have. Covetousness is idolatry. Covetousness is discontentment. I I think Dr. Voss is exactly right when he said, a spirit of discontent is sinful because it involves dissatisfaction with God's providence. The discontented person really feels that God is not treating him right, Thus, discontent amounts to finding fault with God. Therefore, discontent is really a form of irreverence and unbelief in the goodness and love of God. A great way to know if you're struggling with covetousness, discontentedness, and idolatry is to listen to what comes out of your mouth. Are you complaining Are you angry? Are you exasperated? Then chances are, you want something that you are not getting. And like a tumor, your covetousness is influencing what you say and do. Why are we irritated when other people are blessed? Maybe because we forget how blessed we are. Maybe covetousness is a problem for us. Brothers and sisters, it may be tempting to read the Ten Commandments and to think only about our outward actions. Well, the tenth doesn't allow that. The tenth shuts that down right away. It drives home the point that God is greatly concerned about what we feel and desire and why we feel and desire it. The 10th runs through all the other nine. Dr. DeYoung says, quote, there's a reason that do not covet is the last of the 10 commandments. It comes at the end because it is such a fitting summary of everything that has come before. The command not to covet is actually the practical summation and heart level culmination of the other nine commandments. The 10th commandment makes explicit what the other commandments imply obedience is a matter of the heart end quote see if you're coveting you're breaking the first commandment because scripture says covetousness is idolatry if you're coveting you get angry and angry is the root of murder anger is the root of murder James said you desire and do not have so you murder you covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel When you look at a woman who is not your wife and desire her beauty in your heart, you covet. And that's adultery and that's idolatry. When you steal something, you first covet it and then you take it. Can can you see how covetousness relates to the other commandments? Calvin said, quote, there is no question but that this commandment extends also to those that have preceded it, end quote. Many years ago, a uh, Christian brother in a conversation that we had uh, expressed to me that he thought very little about his motivations. Aren't motivations really important? Uh, Why you get angry or why you steal or why you bear false witness is extremely important and the 10th explicitly proves it. I've encountered Christians who argue that emotions are not sinful. It's what we do with our emotions that's problematic. In other words, we're not responsible for what we feel and desire. And they argue that we can't condemn things like sadness, anger, or joy because they're emotions. We can't condemn emotions, feelings. But hasn't original sin corrupted our emotions? Aren't our emotions broken from the fall like the rest of us? Now. Feeling sadness over the loss of a loved one is not sinful. It's not sinful. Being angry at injustice in the world is not sinful. Being joyful at the birth of a child is not sinful. But what if we're sad because we got caught cheating on an exam? What if we're angry because our friend is more successful than we are? What if we're joyful because our jerk neighbor's shed burned to the ground? (laughs) He had it coming. What, What if we desire homosexual love? Those feelings, those emotions, those desires are contrary to God's law and therefore contrary to love and therefore wicked. So feelings or emotions or desires are not neutral. They are indeed corrupted by sin as is our whole person. What, what if we don't feel like worshiping God? Is that okay? What if we don't feel like encouraging a friend? Is is that okay? What if we don't feel like serving others? Is that okay? Saints, our desires matter. What we feel matters. Covetousness is a sinful inner disposition of the heart. It is a sinful desire a desire that leads us away from God, a desire that burdens us and hurts us. It's a desire that must be cut out of us and replaced with a desire for God's will. Covetousness is any desire contrary to God's will. Holy desires are those in agreement with God's will. It's very helpful. Now, it would be easy to look at the Ten Commandments and think, well, I haven't murdered anybody, at least not yet. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't cheated on my spouse. I I don't rob banks. All right, I think I'm doing pretty good here. I feel pretty moral today. And the more we think, hey, I'm doing pretty good, the less we feel our need of Christ. The less we cry out to Christ. The less grateful we are for the grace of God in Christ. And that's the most dangerous place to be. The 10th ensures that we understand that our greatest problem is our desires and that our desires need to change before our behaviors will change. We need the salve of the gospel to heal. We need the salve of the gospel applied on our feelings and desires. Jesus, he spoke to this wealthy young man And this young man had a problem. The the young man thought himself righteous and good because of his outward behavior. His outward behavior was exemplary. I mean, he he was nailing it, right? And and he felt this, and so Jesus mentioned to him a few commandments, and he responded, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. I, I don't think he was being honest about the unlawful desires of his heart, and Jesus decided to cut him to expose the covetousness in the young man. And so with truth, with gentleness, and great care, Jesus cut him. Jesus said, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Jesus essentially said, look my friend, if, if you would be morally perfect, then you should have no covetousness in your heart. So let's see if there's any in there. Sell everything. Give it all away. Then come follow me. The young man left sorrowful because he had great possessions. He couldn't see Jesus' love for him. He was blind by his covetousness. His sorrow meant he had missed the point. He, his sorrow identified his idolatry, and he left Christ without the joy of Christ, without the peace of Christ, without the comfort of Christ, without the delight of Christ. He left. Do you want God to cut covetousness out of you in order for you to follow Jesus and to experience his joy inside of your heart? Isn't that best for you? You need to be hurt in order to be helped and loved. Wives, would would you feel honored? Would you feel respected here and, and loved by your husbands if your husband's motto toward other women was, I can look, but I can't touch? Would that honor you? Would you feel good about that? Um, Of course, you don't want him to touch, but you probably don't want him fantasizing either. So his desire to look is not okay. If he's committed to not cheating on you, but he wants to, isn't that sinful and dishonoring to you? You don't talk back to your mom, kids, but you don't listen to her either. You didn't punch the guy, but you left kind of wishing you had you you, you, you don 't sleep with their husband, but you 'd rather he he be your husband you 'd rather be with him than your own husband. you didn't take it from the store, but you want it so badly you can 't stop thinking about it. you didn't lie, you kept quiet, you didn't say anything, but inside, you are plotting how you can get yourself out of hot water without telling the whole truth. you, you don't go hunting. You go to church, but while you're at church, you look longingly out the window wishing that you were in the woods. Those are unlawful desires. They don't align with God's law. Dr. John L. McKay wrote about covetousness, quote, covetous desires corrupt the inner life of the individual, of an an individual. And because our inner disposition is so often translated into overt Uh, overt actions, covetousness motivates many other sins, end quote. Covetousness motivates many other sins. Does this hurt a bit? Yes. Yes. Realizing how broken you are is painful. For Christians, it's painful because we don't want to be broken anymore. We want to be fully sanctified now. Our sin makes us so uncomfortable, so uncomfortable. We are tempted to try to ignore it or justify ourselves or simply to despair. This is all a big waste. But we know better. We are so in need of God's grace in Christ that we even need God to change our desires, change our affections, change our emotions, change our feelings. We need him to change all of us because we're so broken. We need God to replace our sinful feelings with sanctified feelings, our sinful desires with sanctified desires, our sinful motivations with sanctified motivations, and sometimes it seems like he's not doing it. Where are you? Now, I do some bonehead things. Oh, bonehead things. But I think what burdens me the most are the desires of my heart. That's the biggest burden. I can refrain from doing certain things. I mean, just, just not gonna do them. It didn't make me look bad. I don't have to do those things. I can do that and, and, I can, and I can look good in front of others for not doing them, but I can't seem to overcome the unlawful desires in my heart. They just keep coming. They're there automatically and I feel them and no one else knows. They're so intense and it can be so discouraging. What do I do when I feel that, when I want that, when I can't keep, can't stop thinking about that? Perhaps I need to hear it again. Maybe you need to hear it again. God often harms us to help us because he loves us. I'm grateful that God is showing me the covetousness of my heart because it means he loves me and that he is actively caring for me. What if he let me alone? What if I didn't see it? What, what if I thought I was okay? And you all know I'm not okay, not okay. God's grace and his love for me. It's good that you and I know that cancer is infecting our feelings and our desires. We need the cancer cut out of us We need the salve of Jesus Christ to be put on our soul wounds to heal us, to restore us, so that we feel and desire that which is pleasing to our gracious God who loves us so. Third, I wanna tell you about the power of Jesus over sin. We need this message, we need this hope. How are you and I ever going to overcome our sinful thoughts and desires? My answer and my hope is simple by God's grace and spirit at work in me and you through faith. It's God's grace and spirit. My, my only hope is that 1 Corinthians 1.18 is absolutely true. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Notice that Paul said, who are being saved. We are saved. We are saved, but the Bible also teaches that we are being saved. God is still saving us from our deadly sin. How do you think he's doing that, dear ones? How is he saving you? God is still graciously and lovingly putting your old man to death and bringing your new man to life. And it's the power of the gospel that is doing it. The gospel is the salve that heals If I got everything I wanted, I would be in worse shape. I would just want more, and I would likely ignore God. God is hurting me to help me because he loves me. He's saving me by the power of the gospel. In Philippians 4, 11 through 13, Paul talks about contentment. This is often a passage of scripture that is taken completely out of context and applied to soccer and basketball games but he said that he had learned to be content in whatever circumstances he was, and then he went on to say low times, abounding times, hungry times, full times, abundant times, needy times, and then he gave the remedy for covetousness. He said, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It is the power of Christ which overcomes our unlawful desires. We need his strength working in us. Christ alone has what it takes to change how you feel and how you desire. We need not doubt this. He conquered death by raising from the dead. Why would we doubt his power? He's alive. When when you are deeply concerned that your feelings and desires are corrupted by sin, it's just bothering you, do you know that there are other options than discouragement, despair, hopelessness, fear, anxiety, depression, gloom, there are other options because what Paul said in Second Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 is entirely true for you and me, brothers and sisters. It is for our benefit. then I am strong. You're feeling weak. You need Christ. He is your strength. Paul only makes sense if in our weaknesses we depend upon Christ who is strong for us. That's the only way that makes sense. Faith. And he makes us strong. It's tempting to feel the intensity of our desires and to try all kinds of strategies to change. Maybe I have to take that. Maybe I have to talk to them. Maybe I have to go there. How about I try this? How about I listen to this? And we try all of these things. Strategies to change when the power is in the sufficient grace of God in Christ. The remedy for covetousness is Psalm 37 verse four. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Your victory over covetousness and all sinful feelings and desires is God graciously granting you new desires. So delight yourself in the Lord. But how do you do that? You feast on his ordinary means of grace his word, his sacraments, and prayer. And you trust him to graciously work his Holy Spirit through those means to change you from the inside out. There is great and transforming power in God's word, God's sacraments, and communing with God in prayer. For through these divine means, the spirit of God applies the salve of the gospel to our hurting wounds. Pursue your delight in God, brothers and sisters, by joyfully receiving the power of the gospel through the word and sacraments ministry of your church. And little by little, God will give you the desires of your heart. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear the rest of the sermon series on the Ten Commandments or other sermons from Jerusalem Church, head to jerusalemchurch.net and access our sermon page. Feel free to share this special with your friends and maybe particularly your non-Christian friends. If you are blessed by Small Town Theologian or would like to hear content on a specific subject, I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me an email at smalltowntheologian at gmail.com.